Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, someone's happy. Someone's happy back there. You're a man after my own, my own heart. I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to spend Christmas together as a church family. If you're visiting Hope Church for the first time, we're so glad that, you, that you're here with us today. We have a welcome center right through those doors after the service. We would love uh, to connect with you. Uh, Christmas is a wonderful time. It's a time of peace. It's a time of harmony. But Christmas is not without its controversies. Several controversies surrounding Christmas. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie, or is it not? Is Christmas cake actually food? Is eggnog better than hot chocolate? Is Elf funnier than Home Alone? These are, these are all important controversies that we have to come to grips with at Christmas. I mean, you could think you know someone, right? And then you start talking about something really important, you know, like real Christmas trees or fake Christmas trees. There's a lot of, there's a lot of controversy surrounding Christmas. There's a lot of things, a lot of disagreements that come up. Here, here's one. Some people think Christmas is about getting it's about receiving. And others say, no, 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 Christmas is about giving, right? The whole giving versus getting. I'm sure if you have uh, kids uh, in your home right now, you're continually trying to uh, get their eyes off of the Toys R Us catalog, or more accurately, like Amazon, and to get their eyes onto not just what they can get, but what they can give. But I want to... I want to present something, forgive me parents, I want to present something that's a little bit counterintuitive. I want to remind you that Christmas ultimately is about receiving a gift. That, that fundamentally Christmas is not about giving, it is about receiving. Now normally our style here at Hope Church is to uh, walk through a, a paragraph or a chapter of the Bible at a time. I'm going to sort of break from how we normally do things. I just want to look at one verse, but let me un, un, explain to you the background of this verse. It's, it's, it's Paul, and he's writing in his second letter to the church at Corinth. On regular Sundays here at Hope Church, we've been looking at Paul's first letter to the, to the church there. But in the second letter, Paul's, he's in fundraising mode. There's been a famine. There's a church that's in some serious uh, financial, economic hardship. And so he's fundraising. He's, he's asked the churches in Macedonia. He's, he's asked the churches in Achaia, which is where Corinth uh, is located. That's the province. And he's been trying to motivate them to give. And he's been trying to tell them, really, the whole Christian life is about giving. He's been using agricultural analogies to say that giving is like planting. You don't, you, don't, you don't hoard your seed, and when you plant seed, you don't lose it. It produces something. It's actually good. You get more when you give. So Paul, all of this time, has been saying, the Christ, not just Christmas, but the Christian life is all about giving. So the person on the giving side of the Christmas controversy would be like, yeah, but then at the very end, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 
verse 15, he says, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Paul would would, would really be on both sides of the debate. That Christmas, just like the whole Christian life, is about giving. But it's about giving only if you have received the ultimate gift. A gift that Paul calls inexpressible. Have you ever been given a gift that left you speechless? That's the word that Paul is using here. It's, it's a rare word. It's almost like Paul made it up. It, it, it's, it, there, there's no words to describe what he wants to say about the gift that he's given. Have you ever been given a gift that left you speechless? I would guess that, I love audience participation, keep it coming. I would guess that if you were ever given a gift that was inexpressible, if you were ever given a gift that you were just lost, you you tried to say thank you, you tried to say, we all know how to say thank you for a gift we don't like, right? Oh, wow, oh, this is gonna, what is is this? Oh, yes, I wanted one of these, right? We all know, we all talk a lot when we get a gift that we don't want. But have you ever received a gift that left you speechless? I bet... You were speechless for, for one of three reasons. One, it was just the sheer beauty of the gift. Just the essence of what was given to you. Maybe something you've never seen before. It was so surprising. It was, it was, so, it was, it was just so incredible that you were just speechless because you were just, the gift itself was just remarkable. It was beautiful. It was the, it was the inherent beauty of of the gift. Maybe that caused you to be speechless. Another, another reason why you might be spe- speechless is because like you didn't, the person didn't leave the name, t- the, the price tag on the gift, but you know how much that gift costs and you're speechless because you can't believe that the person who has given you that gift went to that expense and you're just like, you're just speechless. You're also thinking like, I bought the thing like half, I bought their present like half off at Winners. I don't know you're, you're speechless because of, the, because of the price, because of the cost. Or maybe you were speechless because the gift was so personal. Where the person, it, it, it wasn't something expensive, it wasn't even something necessarily beautiful, but the giver of the gift showed that they really knew you. And you were speechless as a result. The gift was, was inexpressible. Loved ones, what I want to share with you today from God's word is that this gift of Christmas, the gift of Jesus who came and was born and laid in a manger, that this is a gift that is inexpressible. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 15 is not, you know, a normal Christmas uh, verse, but it really sums up really what what this gift is. Remember uh, Isaiah chapter 9 of verse six says, for unto us, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And, and government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, God is a giver 
and he has given his son. And yes, Christmas is about giving, but it's only about giving because it's about God. And because God is a giver and he gave us his son. And then one of the most familiar verses in the Bible, even if this is your, if you're just like a Christmas church goer, you know, like you, you come once a year because your family drags you, your friend keeps asking you, so to sort of push them off of you for the next several months, that's why you're here. You're probably familiar with this verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, notice this, that he gave, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal Life. God is a giver. He's given a gift that is inexpressible. And here's why that gift is inexpressible. Firstly, it's inexpressible because it's intrinsically beautiful. The gift of Jesus Christ is intrinsically beautiful. Maybe you've been given a special gift at a time and it was just so beautiful. It could be something, something ornate like, like a pearl necklace and you were speechless at its beauty. Maybe it was a cordless drill. It's all in the eye of the beholder, right? Maybe it was a handmade macaroni ornament that in your eyes was just perfect. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is, but we, we, we've all been given those gifts that are just so beautiful that cause us to wonder at its beauty. That's who that baby in a manger is. You see, Jesus Christ is the source of all life and all beauty and all good. You see, God is a giver. And in order to understand that God is a giver, you need to understand something about God. God is not like, like when you say God and you picture whatever you picture, God is not like that. We, we can't even imagine or fathom what God is like. The, the Bible tells us that there is one God and that God is one. He's indivisible. There's no parts or sections or compartments to God. But at the same time, we're told that God exists in three persons. That there's, there's the Holy Spirit who's called God. There's the Father who's called God. And there's the Son who's also called God. And they all contain the same divine essence. It's not that if you have, you know, the Spirit and Jesus, that's two-thirds God, and the Father is one-thirds God. No, they're interconnected with one another. You can't separate them from one another. They are three in one. Theologians call it the Trinity. Tri for triple, unity for union, triune, three in one. Unlike any other God. Unlike any other God in any other religion. Because gods and other religions are either you have multiple gods that are sort of at war with one another or you have one God who's there in isolation. A lonely God who creates a creation in order to rule over it. Who creates a creation because somehow they were incomplete and lonely and needed a creation. Not so with the God of the Bible. We worship a triune God. And the baby lying in the manger is Jesus, the Son of God. This is why this is important. It's because God is a giver. And God is one. There's no compartments of God. You can't add anything or take away. So if God is a giver, God always was a giver. And if God is a father, then God always was a father. And if, and if the son is God, the son was always the son. 
And so on and on and on into eternity past, there has always been this loving, life-giving relationship within the Trinity, within the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, giving one another love, giving one another life. And out of the overflow, the abundance of who God is, creation flows out of that. God spoke his word to create the creation. And Jesus is the word. The spirit of God hovered over the waters. The spirit was present at creation. The trinity, the love within the trinity explodes into the creation of this universe. God didn't create us and the world because he was lonely. No, he created us in the world because he was filled with love. And, and this creation is a result of the love of the Trinity. Love, loved ones, hear this. Love truly is what makes the world go around. The reason why we exist. If you don't believe in God, and I would even venture to say, if you don't believe in a triune God, you don't actually believe in love because where would love come from? How could God be loving if there was only, if God only existed as a single entity, if he wasn't triune, then how could he be all loving because there was a time where there was no one for him to love? But because God is infinitely and eternally triune, the love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is pre-existent and eternal. And our whole life, and what, when we love one another, the love that we have for our family, the love that we have for the people that we're going to spend this holiday with, is simply a reflection of the love that exists within the triune God. So this gift lying in a manger is the Son of God. When when Gabriel came to Mary to sort of make the announcement that she was going to be pregnant and, and she was going to give birth to Jesus, notice what, notice what uh, Gabriel says to Mary here on the screen, uh, Luke chapter 1. Gabriel says, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. So David's his father, like great, 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 great grandfather, but he's a descendant of David. But then it says, the child to be born will be called holy the Son of God. So, in the same paragraph, Gabriel's saying that this child is going to be the son of David, but at the same time, he's saying this child is going to be the son of God. That's the other thing that's absolutely intrinsically beautiful about the, the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of that baby lying in the manger is the reality of the incarnation. That's another word that theologians use. Uh, uh, in means in, and carn means flesh. It's God in flesh. Jesus, who was 100% God and remained 100% God, also became 100% human. John, in his retelling of the Christmas story, explains it another way. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the Word that was spoken to create the whole cosmos, that's the Son of God, the Word of God. And it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh, and the Word is the Son of the Father. This is the inherent, intrinsic, intrinsic beauty 
of who Jesus is. I love how uh, Thomas Watson describes uh, uh, what it means for Jesus to come to us. It says that man should be made in God's image is a wonder, but that God should be made in man's image is a greater wonder. That the ancient of days would be born. That he who thunders in the heavens should cry in a cradle. Just the the beautiful mystery and glory of thinking about all of the implications of God being found in in the, the womb of a teenage mother and then being born in Bethlehem and wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a... That that's God in the flesh. So intrinsically beautiful that we would have a God that out of the overflow of his love, of his love within the Trinity would create this, this world and then we've all turned away from him and yet he sent his son here. So beautiful. That's one way this gift is inexpressible, that it leaves us speechless. Here's the other one, is that the price was infinitely valuable. The price was infinitely valuable. You look at a a gift that someone has given you and you just can't imagine that, that someone would go to that kind of expense Or you would look at a gift that someone has made for you and you would look at the hours of work that that would have been expended in order for you to have this gift. You think about what it cost for them to give you this gift and it leaves you speechless. Well, loved ones, the gift of Jesus Christ is infinitely valuable. Because here's the truth. So often, again, if you only come to church once a year, I mean, you're probably only familiar with like the baby version of Jesus, but eventually he grew up. And he didn't just come to be laid in a manger. He came to die on a cross. He came on a rescue mission. And this was something that as he was talking with his disciples, he kept reminding them of this because they were thinking about power and politics and being in charge. And Jesus kept calling them back from the edge and say, slow down, guys, hold up. I'm about sacrifice. I'm about shedding my blood for the sins of the world. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 2, he said, he, he told other Christians, walk in love as Christ loved us. And notice this, and gave, it's a gift. He gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus said in Mark 10, verse 45, when he was talking to his his power-hungry, politically-oriented disciples. He said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served. I I didn't come to be put on a throne. I came to be put on a cross and to give, it's a gift, to give his life as a ransom for many. Ransom was a payment that you could pay. Remember, in the economic system at the time, there, were, there, was, there, was, there was slavery. It was very different from the North American a slave trade that we're most familiar with. But if you wanted to set a slave 
free, you had to make a payment. It was called a ransom. We think about ransom with like a ransom note in a kidnapping. Same thing. That person is, is trapped. That person is, is in the clutches of another and you have to pay a ransom in order to set them free. Jesus died on the cross to set us free. What do we need to be set free from? Well, I mentioned that the triune God, out of the infinite and abundant and overflowing love between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, spoke the universe into, cre- into existence. And God is a giver. God gave Adam and Eve one another in marriage. God gave Adam and Eve all the trees of the garden. God gave Adam and Eve the authority to rule and to reign over all of creation. God gave, God gave, God gave, God gave. All Adam and Eve needed to do was to receive. But rather than simply receiving what God had given, they chose to take what God had forbidden. Even though all of the trees of the garden were available to them, there was one tree that they were not allowed to eat from. And in that moment, rather than being receivers to receive everything God had given, they became takers who tried to take what only belonged to God. Satan, the ultimate taker, in the Gospel of John, it describes him as the one who comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He slithered into the garden. He deceived Eve. Adam was right there with them. They took the fruit, and the reason why they took the fruit is because they thought they would become like God. They wouldn't need to receive anything. They would be self-sufficient in and of themselves. And the essence of sin, if you're, if you're not a regular going to church, you might have sort of a list of things that are sins. You know there's like ten commandments. You, you could probably name two or three of them. I think murdering's in there. Yeah, you're right. You, you got one. Sin is more than a list. At its very essence, sin is a rejection of God's law, saying, I, I don't want you to be the boss of me. I want, to, I want to make my own way. It's a rejection of his law, and then it's also a, a refusal of his love. Adam and Eve were saying, no, we're, we're going to be fine just on our own. We don't, we don't need God. We don't want to receive from you. We just want to take what we want. That's what sin is. When we sin against other people, we're simply taking from them rather than giving to them. We're trying to take the glory and the authority that belongs to God and God alone because he's the creator and we try to take it for ourselves and act like we're in charge but we're like three-year-olds playing house with plastic food and dishes. That's what the essence of sin is. Rebelling against his law and refusing his love. But here's the thing. God's a giver. He's a giver. He gave them the garden. He gave them one another. He gave them dominion. He gave them all the trees, but they chose to be takers. Then what did God do? He gave them clothes to cover their shame. He gave them a promise of one who was going to crush the head of the serpent. He gave Abraham promises. He set Abraham's descendants free. He gave them freedom. He gave them a land filled with with milk and honey. He gave them his law. He gave them the prophets that gave more promises about the snake crusher. He gave them a king. He gave them priests. He gave them a temple. He gave, he gave, he gave, and he gave his son. And his son, I mean, if Jesus could not make it any more clear that God is a giver, I mean, 
Again, you're probably remotely familiar with some of the things Jesus did, right? Abundance is a bit of a theme. How much wine do you need at a wedding after it's already been going? You don't need gallons and gallons of wine. But when Jesus made water out of wine, it wasn't just like a bottle. There's these huge, it's abundance. How much fish did they need when he said, let out your nets on the other side? I mean, the nets were breaking and the ship was sinking. It's abundance. He's got 3,000 people listening to him teach. He's got five loaves and two fish. And they leave with 12 baskets full of leftovers. I mean, it's like going to your aunt's for turkey, right? It's abundance. And then he tells these stories, these parables. Do you ever notice that God in the, in the story is always overabundant? He's sowing seed, not just on the soil. Here, he'll put some seed on the path and some seed on the rocks and seed everywhere. Or a father who just, for whatever reason, gives his rude, uh, ungrateful son half his inheritance just on a whim. Here you go, take it all. God is a giver, a king who forgives this astronomical debt for no reason other than the guy says, please. Jesus tells us how abundant God is and then he shows us, not just with his miracles, but he shows us by giving his very life because the wages of sin is death. And death is not just physical death, but death is separation from God in a place called hell, in a place of punishment and darkness, and a place that is the opposite of all of the light and the joy that we, are, that we have been singing about tonight. And Jesus went into the darkness. Jesus went into the, into, the, into the valley of the shadow of death, and he died on our behalf as our substitute. Loved ones, he paid an infinite price, a price that is infinitely valuable. But loved ones, he didn't just die in general. Jesus, this isn't an Oprah Winfrey type gift. Everyone gets a car! It's incredibly personal. So this gift is inexpressible for, for, for three reasons. It's inexpressible because it's intrinsically beautiful, it's infinitely valuable, and it is incredibly uh, personal. Jesus tells us that his father knows the number of hairs that are on our head. I hope it includes face, because I don't have much on my head anymore. The psalmist says that God stores our tears in a bottle, and that he has a ledger where he's counting how many times we toss and turn at, be at bedtime. We, we all know those gifts that we've been given where the person communicates that they know us. It's something, you know, we're shopping or we're talking. Uh, we, on a whim, just mention something or we point something out in a store or in a magazine and then nine months later, it's under the tree. And we're like, wow, I can't believe that you pay attention to what I say. I can't believe that you care about the things that I like and that I don't like. Again, we all know what it's like to get a gift that got no thought, right? <laughs> the person made zero effort. But the gifts that leave us speechless are the gifts where the per we, we, we can tell that the person really knows us. 
And the gift of Jesus Christ is a gift like that. Loved ones, here's, this may be bad news for you, um, but it's, the back half of it is, is good news. God knows us on a, on, a, on a level that would make most of us feel uncomfortable. We, we all, you know, we come to church service and we've got, you know, we're, we're dressed up and we smile and we say, hi, how are you? And like, there's a really, we got a mask on, but really there's another mask on as well. And we present like we're one way, but there are some things in our past or there are some things in our present that we don't want anyone to, maybe a very small few people that we trust enough to be able to sort of welcome into the mess. God knows you better than that person. Even, even if you've never acknowledged God, he knows all about you. He knows everything you've done, every fear, every insecurity, every bad decision. So you may understand that to be kind of bad news. But the truth is, is that even though he knows all of that, even though he knows things about you and he knows things about me, that if most people were just to learn that, they would kind of shudder and want to get away. That God knows all of those things. And rather than shuddering and want to move away, he moves towards us in love. The, the, the truth is, he knows your sin more than you do. Like, we're, we're all worse than we, we, we all have this deluded sense that we're okay, you know? I remember I like, I like to play a little bit of basketball. I remember one time, like, um, I was playing basketball outside and someone had a camera and they took a picture of me taking a jump shot and, like, the way I picture myself taking a jump shot is so different from what the camera, like, I thought I was a pretty good basketball player. But video evidence proves to the contrary. We all think we're doing okay, but God has evidence to the contrary. But he still loves us. He knows exactly what we need. He knows that we're sinners and he knows that we've suffered because of our own sin and because of other people's sin. And he has sent his son, not in a general way, but in a specific way. He sent his son for you. He, he sent his son for you. Personally. And I know I'm speaking to a large group right now, but he's talking to you right now. He wants to leave you speechless with the reality of the gift that he has given. See, here's the, here's the remarkable thing. Remember, sin, God knows our sin. Sin is rejection of God's love and rebellion against his law. So we're not on good terms with God. We might think we are, but we're not. We normally don't buy gifts for people we're not on good terms with. We buy for our friends and our family and, you know, the crossing guard that really smiles and does a good job and the bus driver. and this. We, we, we don't buy the Christmas card. We don't track down the person who cut us off on the 401 and give them. We don't do that. We don't find our former boss who fired us and treated us like dirt for six years. We don't track them down. Here you go. We don't do that. Because we're not overflowing with love like God is. But God can't help but give. And so Romans 5.8 tells us that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for 
us. This is the incredible reality that he died for us. And think, think back just again. Why did he die? Again, I want to take you back to the, to the very beginning. I want to take you back to the, the Bible verse that just about everyone knows. We'll take you back to that verse. And then is there another Bible verse? <laughs> Sorry. John 3.16. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God and relating to God, not just in the future in heaven, but knowing him and loving him now, living in a right relationship, a personal relationship with him right now. You see, here's the incredible thing, is that when Jesus came and he was born on Christmas, he became like us. And as I've explained, he didn't just come to just live and to teach He came to become like us for a purpose, as a mission, to go to the cross, to die in our sin. Here's the reality. He became like us so that we could become like him. He he became like us while we were enemies of God so that we could become like him, like a son or like a daughter of God. God wants us in his family. He wants us in his inner circle. Again, God, he's a triune God. He's overflowing with abundance and love. And he wants to shower that love onto you through his son, Jesus Christ. And the way to do that, the way to receive the gift is to believe. To believe to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he came to perish, to die, so that you would have eternal life. And when you believe, you receive what God has given you and then you give him your whole life. Because Christmas and the Christian life, it's about giving. But it's about giving because he has first given to us. And so I... I want to ask you to simultaneously settle, settle the controversy. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to invite you today to know that Christmas is all about receiving and Christmas is all about giving. I want you to say, God, I receive the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. It's just as simple as that. Just tell him, I receive the gift that you have given me in Jesus and I give you my whole life in surrender. Loved ones, this is a gift that's inexpressible. It's, our, our mouths can hardly articulate what our minds can just barely fathom. But I, I'm going to pray right now, and if the prayer that I'm about to pray represents where your heart is at, I invite you to, to pray this prayer or or to talk to me after the service, or to, or to uh, anyone with a, with a Hope Church name tag, or the person, the best person to talk to would be the person that invited you to come here to be able to use words to thank God for the gift that's been given and to give your life uh, to him. Let's, let's, let's pray together now. 
So again, I'm just going to say a very simple prayer. There's nothing too mystical about what we're about to do, but God is always listening. And even if this is the first time you've ever prayed, I just invite you to pray a simple prayer like this. God, I thank you for the gift of Jesus. I thank you that he came as God in the flesh. I thank you that he died on the cross for me personally. And I confess to you what you already know that I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner with my actions, with my thoughts, with my words. And God, I want to use words right now to say thank you for the gift that you have given me. And I want to give you my whole life. I want to leave behind sin and shame and brokenness. And I want to live out and experience the things we hear about Christmas all of the time. Love and joy and peace and hope. And so, God, I give you my life. Thank you for your inexpressible gift. In the name of Jesus, amen.